Hello and welcome to the Mr. Brown podcast, where I reflect on my journey as an early career teacher with a special focus on mental health. I am your host, James Brown. Good morning, and it's half term. It's only been a five week half term, which is short compared to the previous two, which were eight weeks and seven weeks respectively. But despite being relatively short, it's been a punchy half term and I feel I'm well ready for a week's rest. There are four things I'd like to discuss with you today on the podcast. The first involves a dilemma. And this coincides with my current module on my MA, which is all about the moral dilemmas that teachers face on a regular basis. This dilemma, and I think I'm going to write about this in my next assignment, but this dilemma has to do with rewards. So, say you've got a student in your class who needs a bit more encouragement to do the right thing. And by encouragement, I mean that they need external incentives like rewards. Also in your class, you've got some students who do the right thing purely because it's the right thing to do. Now, how do you give rewards and incentivize that first student to do the right thing without creating resentment in the second sort of student, the student who would do the right thing purely because it's the right thing to do? Now, this has come up in my classroom practice. So I'm a year nine tutor. And we have in year nine this thing called Celebration Friday. Students who've done really well in the week can be nominated by their teachers. They'll get a shout out on a Friday. And anyone who gets a shout out on a Friday, I think, goes into a prize draw and can end up winning something like a dessert party, going and eating some dessert or something. Anyway, it's 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 a big external incentive, basically. Now, often when we're doing this Celebration Friday and doing these shout-outs. It's for the whole year group. And there are a few students who fall into that first category of student that I described a minute ago. They require significant, significant encouragement to do the right thing. And regularly, they don't do the right thing. Often, they get it wrong. And they're the more disruptive students in lessons. And other students who do the right thing purely because it's the right thing, are well aware of how these other students behave in lessons. So, often on a Friday, the names of students will be appearing on our PowerPoint. Students who've done well that week, who are being celebrated, and yet some of these names are the names of students who are quite disruptive in lessons. But we're trying to use some sort of external incentive system to kind of nudge them in the right direction, get them heading in the right direction. But often when these students' names appear on the PowerPoint, there are students in my class, very well-behaved students, who aren't happy about it at all. In fact, when some names appear on the PowerPoint, it's met with a general outcry of disbelief 
and indeed resentment from certain students in the class. They will say things like, they can't believe that these poorly behaved students are being celebrated and getting entered into this prize draw, when they themselves are well behaved and don't even get a mention. Now, I'd say that last bit is an exaggeration. In my school, I think we do a very good job of highlighting and celebrating good behaviour in all its aspects. But still, there are occasions where perhaps this tension arises, as I've just described, between rewarding and incentivizing those students who do need the additional support and trying not to create resentment in those students who don't need the additional support. So how do you navigate this? Now, I think that the tension is ultimately rooted in a particular conception of justice or fairness. So lots of teenagers seem to think that justice or fairness consists in equal treatment for all. That's an equality-based conception. However, many schools operate with more of an equity-based conception, where it's not treating students equally, but rather treating students according to their level of need. Now, that's a more nuanced conception of justice or fairness. And the last time that I had this public outcry during one of my tutor sessions on a Friday morning, I tried to explain this distinction to my students, explain the distinction between equality and equity. And I think it landed. I'm not saying that it completely dissipated the tension or the annoyance, the irritation among some students that others were being celebrated for behaviours that they themselves would do without a second thought and perhaps not be acknowledged in the same way. It didn't completely dissolve that tension or irritation, but I think it, I think it helped a little bit. Now, I explained that some students do need additional encouragement and indeed people have different levels of need. And so I said that it was important to try and resist the temptation to become resentful because that can be quite a poisonous emotion. But like I said, I think this helped, this explanation helped, but it's still far from an optimal scenario. So I'd be very interested to hear how you in your schools navigate this particular issue. How do you reward those who need rewards in order to do the right thing and stop those who don't need rewards from becoming resentful? I'd be very interested to hear your thoughts. Now, speaking of my year nine tutor group, this week we had, on Wednesday, Pride Showcase Day. Pride is an acronym at my school. It stands for Proactive, Responsible, Inquisitive, Determined and Engaged. And Responsible is broken down into further moral behaviours. This essentially is our character education framework. And Pride Showcase Day is a day where there's no school, although work has been set on teams, but there's no school. School's out for the day. And instead, students come along to appointments with their parents or their carers or someone from home 
to discuss how they've been demonstrating pride and to celebrate all the good work they've been doing. Now, this is what my school does instead of traditional parents' evenings. I have no experience of a parents' evening as a teacher, but I remember them as a student, and I remember feeling like I was on a bit of a production line. I'd have just a couple of minutes with each of my subject teachers before moving on to the next, and that was about it. And from the teacher's point of view, this would mean that they would lose seven of their evenings a year to parents' evenings, whereas in my school we have two of these Pride Showcase days a year, and that's it. And so in year nine, it's different for each year group, but in year nine, each student would book a book an hour's slot, um, and I would book up to three students in one hour. And what would happen, these three students and their parents would come along and the first thing we'd do is each student would read a short speech about how they've been demonstrating pride, talk about a piece of work that they're proud of, talk about their future aspirations, things like this. And then after the speeches, I'd then have one-to-one discussions with each student and their parent about their reports. Uh, we'd also do some admin things. We also got their option preferences locked in. And it was my first experience of a Pride Showcase Day. I've been a teacher for a few years. I shadowed a more experienced member of staff doing a a Pride Showcase Day in my training year. Uh, But last year, during my ECT1, Pride Showcase Days were cancelled due to strike action. So this Pride Showcase Day last week was my first one, and I was feeling quite nervous. Thankfully, however, my first few slots of the day only had one student in each slot and so that gave me a bit of time to to iron out the wrinkles and to become comfortable and familiar with what was going on but I must say it was one of the highlights of my teaching career so far taking that time to hear students talk about what they want to be when they grow up and what work they're particularly proud of and discuss their values and meet their parents and have the and have similar conversations with them it felt like a very very thorough and meaningful approach to or an alternative approach to the traditional sort of parents day and i know some of my year nines listen to this podcast and i'd just like to say that i am very proud of each and every one of you and indeed i told you this in your pride showcase day appointments but it is it is true so that was something that i just wanted to acknowledge on this week's episode it was just fantastic to spend a day getting to know students as people rather than just as students which of course is important but it's only one aspect and perhaps in the grand scheme of things a relatively unimportant aspect compared to getting to know students as people, as individuals, to discuss their values and their character. It was a fantastic day. And to anyone at any school who's getting fed up with the traditional parents' evening format, I'd highly recommend giving this a go. Now, third thing I'd like to discuss. Recently, I've had a trainee in with me in my year seven, in one of my year seven classes. And he's been fantastic. Now, when I was a trainee, 
I remember having a conversation with a more experienced teacher on the value of trainees. And at the time, I just thought that trainees were this awkward person in the room who more senior teachers kind of just had to put up with. They were a necessary burden in order to ensure the continuation of the profession. But until they kind of got up to standard, they were just, yes, a burden to be tolerated. He explained to me, however, that trainees bring a lot to the table. So I had a very pessimistic view. I've now completely changed my mind. I think they bring a lot of value to the table. I think they keep the profession fresh and dynamic. They bring, well, some of them bring the latest research with them. They're optimistic. They reduce the workload on teachers. So they're a great contribution, I think, to any school. Recently, in one of these year seven classes, I found myself sat in the audience. And this, for me, again, was something I could do only because I had a competent trainee in the room teaching the lesson. But it was very illuminating to be sat in the stalls with the other students and getting a student's eye view on the teacher and on the lesson gave me some insight. And one thing I noticed is that it's quite noisy. From the front of the classroom, the class can seem fairly quiet, quiet enough, even silent at times. But when you're sat in amongst the students, just the noise of fidgeting or rooting in pencil cases. Now, I'm quite sensitive to this sort of thing, but even so, I found it quite a noisy experience. And so it drove home the importance for me of ensuring that students are as silent as they can possibly be before delivering explanations, because all of that background noise can only be a distraction. So yes, I think this is yet another benefit that trainees bring to the classroom. So next time you're observing a trainee, instead of standing at the back, which is what I would usually do, see if there are any free seats in the audience and get in amongst the students. It can be quite eye-opening. Now, finally, speaking of trainees, a job has come up at my school, which I'm quite interested in. It's a job in initial teacher training in teacher education. And it's appealing for several reasons, which I'm not going to go into. But the question I wanted to throw out there this morning was, how do you know when you're ready to take on additional responsibility? I'm quite interested in taking this job. However, I am worried that with the increase in workload, I might become overwhelmed and stressed. And this could take a toll on my life outside of teaching. And how do I know whether I'm ready for that? Or how do I know whether I'll be able to cope with that? These are all the sorts of questions that have crossed my mind when thinking about this job. But there are a few things at work that I think are significant in this regard. So on the most part, I felt on top of it in terms of managing my time as a classroom teacher. I'm usually at least a couple of weeks ahead in terms of my planning. I still do 
quite a bit of my planning on a Sunday morning, but actually at the moment I get most of it done in the week. So the amount I'm having to do at the weekend is becoming less and less. This system also allows me to get most of my marking done at school. And I've still to this day never brought marking home. And I do have most of my evenings free. I say free, I do have my master's work that I do as well. But even so, I'm feeling on top of it um, to such an extent that there have been a few occasions recently where I've taken my master's work into school with me. Now, this seems to suggest that that I ha- do have some some spare capacity, which I could put to good use by taking on this additional responsibility. And something else I remind myself of is that taking on this extra workload would still pale in comparison to the workload that I took on when I first became a teacher. So going from, I think during my training year, I think I worked up to about 14, 15 hours a week, and then obviously jumped up to having 19 hours a week, I think it was, in ECT1, and being responsible for all my own classes. I think that's probably the most the greatest leap up in terms of workload and stress that I'll hopefully ever experience in my career. So taking on this additional responsibility would be a jump up, but surely it can't be anywhere near the big jump that I've already made. So hopefully I'll be able to cope with it. But these are the sorts of things that are going through my head. Now, I wanted to ask you, so if you have a TLR, that's a teaching and learning responsibility, or if you're thinking about applying for one, how do you know, how did you know that you were ready for it? Or or what sorts of things are you thinking about in this regard? I'm also thinking that it will be stressful to begin with whilst I'm orienting myself within the role. I mean, this is assuming I get it. I mean, there are several people that have applied for this post. I might not get it, in which case it's a moot point. But it would be stressful to begin with, I think, whilst I'm orienting myself within the role. But I think I can free up some extra capacity to hopefully deal with that initial stress. And then after a few weeks or a few months, hopefully I'd get into the rhythm of things and then it'll settle down. Has that been your experience of taking on additional responsibilities? Or if you're thinking of taking one on, um, do you are you confident that you'd be able to deal with the extra workload? And if so, what makes you confident? I'd be very interested to hear your thoughts. So generally, the question is, how do you know when you're ready to take on additional responsibility within a school? Please let me know. So I assume for you, it will either be half term this week or next week or maybe last week. Whenever it is, I hope that you have a lovely rest and I will speak to you again in a few weeks time. Bye for now. If you enjoyed this episode, please spread the word in person and on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at MrBrownPod or email MrBrownPod at gmail.com. Please subscribe, rate and review in your directory of choice. Please also consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash MrBrownPod and helping me cover the cost of producing the podcast. Thank you and talk again soon.